discussion with Dr. Farid Kolaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadir Tulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadir Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. I want to make another announcement for my next seminar less than a week away this coming Sunday, April 23rd from 3 to 6 p.m. And it's going to be on emotional intelligence. That is going to be at the Olympic Collection, and the tickets are $40 at the door. So that's this Sunday, and the topic is emotional intelligence, and the books that I've been making, the books of the week for the past few weeks have been related to that topic. So before I get into this week's book, I'll announce the book for next week, which is Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. So it's Emotional Intelligence 2.0. The week before, we did Emotional Intelligence, the original one. This one's 2.0, um, and it's a good summary and very, I think it explains things in a very simple way, including ways to improve your emotional intelligence. I'll post a picture of that on my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, by tomorrow, so you can make sure you have the right book. But moving on to the book we read for this past week, Mindsight, The New Science of Personal Transformation by Daniel Siegel. Um, this was a, a great book, and uh, there's a lot in there. He talks a lot about the science of the brain, a lot of neurobiology, uh, which really does inform what he is talking about, but I would highly recommend this book, and I'll tell you a little bit about my thoughts on it and summarizing it to some degree. So what is Mindsight? Mindsight is a term that Daniel Siegel himself uh, created or developed, and it includes um, basically becoming mindful of ourself, becoming aware of ourself, and involves lots of different actions and um, behaviors and techniques that he describes, but to define what he's himself saying. So he says um, that it's a way it's a powerful lens through which we can understand our inner lives with more clarity, integrate the brain, and enhance our relationships with others. So in essence, what it is is having an awareness of our thinking and being aware of what's happening in our thinking by understanding how our brains work and understanding how we can focus our attention in ways that allows us to have more control or ability to um, affect how we're feeling and thinking and acting in our own lives. So a lot of it has to do with mindfulness. Um, that's something we've talked about a lot on the show, which can be developed through meditation and other practices. But really, 
Although we can see it as a totally new term, a lot of what we're talking about is becoming aware of ourselves, having the mindfulness, the awareness of what I'm feeling, um, but at the same time, not just what I'm feeling and being lost in it, but being aware that that's something that I'm feeling now and my emotions actually don't define me. It is just something that I am feeling. So as he himself explains, there's a big difference between saying I am sad and I feel sad. I am sad essentially defines myself as sad. It's very much consumes me and basically defines me in that moment. But I feel sad means that I'm aware that I'm having this emotion or this feeling at this time. I'm aware of it. I can recognize it. I can acknowledge it. I can even name it. But I'm not completely owned by it, which gives me a lot more space and understanding or choosing how I'm going to respond or behave related to my emotion. And this is a good distinction to have because very often when I talk to people about becoming more emotionally aware, there's this concern that, well, if I'm more aware of my emotions, if I'm closer to my emotions, then we become overcome with these emotions or these uh, feelings. And they're going to define what I do and I'm going to become quote unquote too emotional or act in an irrational emotional way. But what we're talking about with mindfulness and awareness is actually you are aware that you're feeling something and if you can, you can try to understand why you might be feeling what you're feeling. And because of that, you aren't owned by it. I can feel sad, but I don't have to act on that sadness in any particular way or take some extreme action. So by developing our mindset skill, as he calls it, or our ability to be aware of our own mind and our own thinking and what we are feeling at any given time, we actually have a lot more control over what we uh, can do. And another concern that people sometimes have when we focus inside and we say, understand yourself better, they think that we're saying become more self-centered. And he talks about this in the book, become um, almost more egotistical in that way that I'm only looking at myself. But this is actually not at all what um, he is suggesting. By becoming more aware of ourselves, we actually become much better at becoming aware and connecting with other people. He quotes Einstein um, near the end of the book talking about a circle of compassion or expanding our circle of compassion. For most of us, we tend to think it's only for our very close friends and family that we should have compassion for. But in this letter that he uh, quotes from Einstein, he's saying that we should actually try to expand that. And we actually find that when people get more in touch with themselves, all the different aspects of themselves, the more they connect with themselves, they actually connect to others much more easily and have more compassion. And research has actually shown that people who go through meditation and different types of meditation become more compassionate and kind individuals, that it has that effect. And we can make sense of this in that when we are not aware of ourselves, when we're not connected to ourselves, that means there's a lot of parts of myself I'm not aware of. And because of that, maybe either I'm avoiding them because I don't like them, or I think they're bad or unlovable. And as a result, I don't have a sense of compassion even for all the parts of myself. And so when I see these parts in other people, I'm not going to have compassion for them, or I won't be able to fully love them either. So the more we get to know ourselves and the more we connect with ourselves, interestingly enough, the more we connect 
with other people. Now, he also explains how there's parts of our brain that might explain this uh, mirror neurons, which show that we actually, um, when we see someone doing an action, those same neurons that we would use to do that action go off in our brain. So it's very interesting in some ways this is some of the um, underpinnings of maybe where empathy is coming from, where if I see you doing something, I can actually literally feel like I'm doing it too. And the more attuned I am with myself, the more attuned I can be with you. So to develop our ability to connect with others, we first and foremost have to connect with ourselves. Or very often when people think I'm looking for someone, I need to find someone to be in a relationship. What they're missing is first they have to actually find themselves. They have to find who they are and connect with that first before they can truly connect with someone else else in a realistic or very deep type of a way. Now, he also talks about how um, our mind, although most people, many, several, just a few decades ago, thought our brains were very set in how they were from childhood. I remember hearing actually in my early psychology classes that you're born with a certain number of neurons and that's it. That's all you've been given. You can lose some and you do lose some, but that's all you will be able to have for the rest of your life. But it turns out that's not true that actually we can um, develop neurons throughout life. And there's something called um, neurogenesis, which is the development of brain cells or new brain cells that can happen. Or also we can have synaptogenesis, which is when the synapses between the brain, um, it's easier for them to communicate or connect. So there's ways we can actually develop our brain. So this notion that the brain is fixed and can't be Uh, improved over time where there's no plasticity that it doesn't change over the course of our lives is absolutely not true and there's so much research that shows different ways that this happens and specifically that what we give our attention to those parts of the brain will actually become stronger just like a muscle if you work a muscle more it becomes stronger easier for you to use the same is true of our brains so for example if you look at uh, a violinist's brain, the area of the brain that is for the left hand has a lot more connection and activity than the one for the right hand because the left hand is the one that has to do all the intricate movements to play the violin, whereas the right hand doesn't have to do as much or it's not as complex or complicated. But the more attention that individual's putting on using their left hand's fingers in that way actually makes the brain develop. So in this sense, he's explaining that we can help develop different aspects or components of our brain by focusing our attention um, to use those parts of the brain. For example, some people are much more left brain focused, meaning more logical and analytical and cut off from the right side of the brain, which is the more emotional side of the brain. And you might have met people like that, or you can recognize people who are that way, who are very logical, rational, but very emotionally restricted and not in touch with that aspect of themselves. And they're not really using their whole brain. And uh, that's another aspect of what mindset helps, mindset helps to promote is this ability to use our whole brain, to not just be using part of our brain, but to really activate all of it and to use it as a, uh, a system with harmony that we get the most out of our brains. And because of that, we can get the most out of our lives. But if we're only using one side of our brain, we're missing out on a lot of what we can 
do and what he encourages you to do. And he talks about different clinical cases, but there's one with an individual who's very left brain focused, but he starts to engage the right brain, the emotional component or emotional side of the brain. And this individual early in life learned to just put all of his feelings away because of the circumstances of his family and he would not be attended to for his emotions. And many families unfortunately promote this. So we learn to put away our feelings, put away the emotions, because what do they give us other than some kind of pain and a bad feeling? So we become very logical and we become everything becomes about logic and reason and rational thinking. But Dr. Siegel uh, talks about his progress with this patient, getting him to connect with his emotional side. And over time, he is able to integrate that. And this gentleman, I believe, was 92 years old. So it shows us that you can teach an old dog new tricks. And this is what we learn about the brain, that as much as you might think, well, I'm fixed in my ways, the brain I have is the brain I'm going to have for the rest of my life. We actually know now that the research shows us we can work on improving our brain or improving the functioning and the harmony in which our brain and all aspects of the brain are firing. Um, another important aspect of our overall emotional well-being that Dr. Siegel talks about is something he calls our window of tolerance. And sometimes this is called distress tolerance or frustration tolerance. But essentially, the window of tolerance, as he describes it, is our the window within which we are able to tolerate discomfort or pain or something that we don't like, something unpleasant. And the more we are able, able to tolerate or have a bigger window of tolerance, the better off we're able to do because when our emotions come, we don't think we quickly have to get rid of them or we quickly have to change things or we have to react because we can't tolerate the feeling. Um, at the seminar Sunday, I'm going to do an exercise where we, we look at this distress tolerance or our window of tolerance and recognize the importance of, of widening that window or of improving or increasing our frustration tolerance, our distress tolerance, because life is going to be difficult at times. And the more we are able to withstand it, the better we are able to move forward. The more that we can accept that sometimes we're not going to feel good, sometimes things won't go our way, but that's okay, the better we are able to face the challenges and roll with the punches and roll with the waves as they come our way. Another interesting um, concept that Dr. Siegel talks about this in this book is something he calls, uh, another psychologist call, uh, name it to tame it. And what that means is that when you have an emotion, when you are able to name that emotion, it actually helps reduce the intensity of that feeling. And this is because the emotion itself, the way we're feeling, originates in the right part of the brain. But to make sense of it and to then define it or describe it and label it, that comes from the left part of our brain. And if we're able to accurately do that, to come up with a way to define, I'm feeling very angry right now. I'm feeling really upset right now, or I'm feeling agitated, whatever it might be that we're feeling, this integration, this coming together actually allows for a reduction in how we feel and for us to better respond to what is going on. And that word integration is something um, that is very big in this book and he talks about a lot. And that's essentially the key of mindsight when we're able to look at our brain and be aware of what we are doing and what we're feeling and how our brain is acting, but also being able to integrate all the different pieces of our 
mental aspect, our emotional aspect, our personality into one cohesive self. And that's what we want to do is to integrate ourselves together, not to get rid of anything, which is often what people think. They come to therapy, get rid of my anxiety, get rid of this part of me. But that's not how it's going to work. These are different aspects of who you are and different parts of who you are. We might be able to understand it better and name it to tame it and do different things to make it easier for you to deal with these different aspects of yourself. But we don't get rid of anything because they're all part of who you are and actually who you need to be. That same anxiety that is really crippling you right now is something you might need to have at a certain level just to survive. And and this book does a great job of explaining these various aspects of ourselves and how we can integrate it to some cohesive whole to function in a healthy and harmonic way with ourselves. So I highly recommend this book. Again, it's Mindsight by Dr. Daniel Siegel. Uh, he has a number of really good books um, that I would highly recommend, and maybe a few more will be part of our books of the week for the year. But if you haven't read it yet, I'd highly recommend it. And again, the book for next week is Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. And speaking of emotional intelligence, again, April 23rd from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection will be my next seminar on emotional intelligence. Tickets are available for $40 at the door. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Uh, hi, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm calling uh, because I feel really helpless and desperate, so I was wondering if you could help me out okay. uh, at this point that I am. Okay, what's going on? Uh, I'm 32 years old, and I'm undergrad student studying finance mm-hmm. uh, in uh, New York City. Okay. I started. Uh, I started in spring 2016 as a part-time student, and I moved to the United States uh, two years and uh, five months ago. So uh, the thing that just occupied my mind is. Maybe it's a better idea to quit school and move to Los Angeles to seek therapy, or it's uh, better to continue the program uh, in any way. Um, I should um, explain about my uh, financial difficulties. The school that I go is maybe one of the cheapest in the United States. It's only 8000 something per year but since um, I'm a transfer student the maximum loan that I can get is 12,500 per year and uh, 55,000 for the total and uh, I'm currently working and take evening classes so um, I have passed uh, during spring 2016 semester and fall 2016, uh, 16 credits 
and 53 credits were accepted, were transferred from Iran, and uh, I have 51 more credits left mm-hmm. in order to finish those 120. Okay. Now, let me ask you something. You said, I'm not sure if I should stop going to school and come to L.A. to get to get therapy, which tells me you're not, you know, probably not feeling well if you're thinking about that. Um, me too, but the thing is that there is a fear in me that okay. I may not be able to finish it. So ending up with, currently I have $22,000 student loan. It, it would be better than like 55,000 because this is the road that I should go completely to the end in order to mm-hmm. get my well, What are you degree. studying? So finance. Right, but what do you want to do with that? To be honest, I have no idea. Okay. Well, that could be some of the problem. It seems like you're not sure where you want to end up or where you want to go. Yes. And also, I should mention something. Um, um, For this semester, I'm on leave of absence Mm -hmm. uh, because um, I got got some advice that, okay, from... um, from some people that say, okay, this this is not going to end up with career and um, the degree that you are making is not really worth. You should study computer if you if you want to get a job. So this semester, I used ten thousand my student loan and went to a course outside the school for web developing. But I'm overwhelmed. It's extremely difficult for me. I'm sure I can't make any. I I can't make any career in it. So I thought that I I I can go on like this. In the morning, I work full time. Then I should take the train to New Jersey. The, the course is super intensive. The material. I have also problem for for digesting new things, for analyzing, and um, but I thought that there is no benefit in quitting since I've already paid. So if I keep going like this, at least it, it might be beneficial in the future. So. Um, well, I mean, I would hope you can finish that, but something I'm I'm hearing in a lot of what you're saying is you. Like I was saying before, you have no idea what direction you want to go in. And you said someone told me to take a class, so I paid $10,000 to take a class and took a semester off. Yes, I... So, I mean, I, you know, if without knowing where you want to go, having no idea where you want to go, it's hard to, 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 to get there. And then, of course, you're going to feel like giving up when it gets challenging because you don't even know if you want what you're working towards because you don't know what you're working towards. Yes, that's true. So, I mean, part of what what's going to help you is figuring out what you want to do and getting, hopefully, at some level, excited and passionate about that so you're willing to overcome it. Now, the idea of should I just drop out of school and, and come to L.A. for therapy? Now, I'm wondering, when you say come to L.A., why why can you not get therapy where you are? Why do you mean come to L.A.? Um, first of all, um, 
yeah, because there is no Iranian therapist there. So I'm, I can't you, say for a fact there is because I don't know myself of a specific one, but I'm imagining there are Iranian therapists somewhere in your area. Yeah, I, I've Googled it, but I didn't uh, get any results. Okay. Well, like I said, I, I mean, I would, I'm just saying I'm assuming because I know there's a, a lot of Iranians. I, I can't say for a fact, but I, I don't... And also, I... Yeah, go ahead. Also, I can't... Sorry. I, I also can't uh, trust uh, therapy. Unless it is you or your father or referred by either of you. Oh. Well, well, that that's something. Um, I don't think I'm not a good therapist, but I definitely don't think I'm the only one that could help you. But especially when you say trust, when you say trust, what aspect of the trust are we talking about? Is it that the person can help you, or that the person is someone you can trust your secrets with or your life with? No, no, no. I, I no, no. It's is a language barrier. I mean, someone that can help me. Okay. Because two times I've had session with um, American therapists, uh-huh. and they just wanted to just spend the session in silence and listen to me, and that's what I don't want. Okay. Now I'll let you know. A lot of a lo- lot of psychotherapy involves the therapist listening a lot. Even what we're doing here on the air. Uh, or, you know, what I usually do with people that call in the air is not how I am in therapy because therapy is a different process. Whereas here I talk to someone maybe for 15, 30 minutes and have to understand what's going on in a basic level and give some kind of advice or feedback. Therapy is a much more longer term process. So I want you to know that if you go to a therapist and they're asking you a few questions and listening a lot more, that's, that's how the process of psychotherapy goes. Because um, the the, um, the expectation that I have uh, is uh, the way, like you or your father, just um, uh, interactively uh, wants to communicate with the patient and uh, see what is going wrong in their thoughts. Yeah, and, and there could be some room for interaction, but like I'm saying, the way it is, like my father's show or my own show, it is a different process than what long-term psychotherapy is going to to look like. And you could even tell your therapist you'd like them to be more interactive and see if they're open to that or how that process would go. But I want you to know that I don't want you to think if you went to a therapist and it didn't sound like what you hear on the radio that they didn't know what they were doing or they were doing it wrong. Um, I see clients you know i saw clients today i see them um almost every day here at the office and i'm not talking to them exactly how i am here it's a lot more of a uh, them sharing and expressing and getting to them that, that getting them to that point to understand what's going on rather than just telling them a few things based on what i'm hearing after a few minutes so i don't want you to feel discouraged now the cultural aspect can be important for for many people they might feel that as an Iranian-American, you need to, or you'd feel more comfortable seeing an Iranian who would understand your cultural background and maybe what you've been through. That I can understand. But I really think it's very important, and I am glad you're mentioning it because I do hear this a lot, that people expect 
therapy to be what it sounds like here on the air. And what I'm doing right now is not therapy with you. Yes, it, it involves, you know, something similar to talking about feelings and talking about your history. So I understand there's definitely an overlap and it's not completely different, but it's definitely not therapy. Yes. Also, the other point uh, is the, the other point about uh, that I mentioned quit, quitting the school mm -hmm. is that I fear not to be able to finish it and uh, end up with a bigger student loan. Okay. Now you're about maybe three, four semesters from being done. I've I've done two semesters. Okay. I passed sixteen credits, and last semester I'm on leave of absence and taking outside school classes. Okay. Now, I mean, my initial just reaction when you tell me to to stop going to school is to to have you not stop. Um, I think in the long run, what you'll be able to make with a degree is more than likely going to pay off, but. As I was saying before, because I think you don't know what you want to do, it's hard to recognize what your path is going to be. If you thought, okay, when I finish, I'm going to go work for as a consultant at such and such place or such this type of a field, you'd have a much better idea of what you're getting yourself into. Right now, it just seems like you're wasting, in your mind, maybe wasting your money without a destination, which doesn't seem like it makes sense. So not knowing where you want to go is, is a big deal. Is there... Do you, do you have you ever thought you knew what you wanted to do and you changed recently or has it been more you were not sure from the beginning? Um, I actually I was not sure in the beginning. The mm -hmm. reason uh, I moved to the U.S. like two years and something, and uh, I just wanted to uh, study something that. Uh, takes me out of a minimum wage job. Okay. So but I, there, I didn't care. Okay, but but I want you to care. I think it's, it's good that you want something better uh, for yourself, but if you don't care, then you're, you're going to feel like you are now where you just don't care to try either. So um, it is going to be important to find that passion or find what you, you want to do, because if not, if it's just, well, I just want to do something... You're not going to try hard because whatever you want to study, it's going to be difficult as you're experiencing now. It's going to be hard, yeah. um, especially with the, maybe the language, as you're saying, being an immigrant, you're going to have even more challenges in the financial pressures and all of that. So it's, it's not easy. And it's not easy for anyone, even if everything is taken care of, let alone when they have some of the challenges that you're facing. What brought you from Iran to the United States? Uh, this is kind of, uh, I had to. It was not kind of optional. Okay, so it was in, involuntary immigration? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if you remember on September 2015, we talked and I explained my case. And oh, you willingly yeah. listened to me and uh, you also asked me yes. what, uh, to come to the studio. Mm -hmm. you. I do remember now, yes. Now, do you want to, I'm remembering what brought you or what made you leave Iran. Do you want to talk about that right now on the air? Um, uh, my my concern is just the, the, the time. Okay. Because I'm, uh, I'm more concerned with my 
day-to-day life every day. I'm okay, dragging sure. myself. And, uh, well, it sounds like you're definitely depressed. And look, we have I've got one more segment. And I, want, I don't want to stop right now. So let's let's talk a bit after the break, okay, about what in more detail about what's going on and what you're experiencing and see what we can come up with, okay? Okay, thank you All very right, much. All right, just hold on. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to our caller. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. Okay. Um, there is uh, two more things I forgot to mention. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things. We might not get to all the things. But I want to make sure we get to some other things, but go ahead. Uh, about the reason that I, uh, why I chose finance, uh, another reason uh, was that I thought that this is something that I can find job easily rather than the the, the job forcing me to to relocate to distant cities and states so i i wanted to have the freedom of uh choosing my place uh, my city and also um uh, for this these two semesters um i've I've passed some basic classes like microeconomy and business law, accounting. Uh, I got A's in all, so mm-hmm. my GPA is like 3.90 something. Very uh, good. So that tells me you can, we know you can pass the classes. So when you're saying I'm worried I won't finish, it seems like it's not an issue of you being able to, as far as having the capability, clearly you do have that. Now, as I mentioned very briefly before the break, what you were describing, even in how you started your phone call, but later on, clearly were signs of depression. And that's a big concern for me because, of course, if you're feeling depressed, doing anything is going to be more difficult if you don't uh, yeah. do anything about it. Yes. For for the course that I'm taking, maybe I'm, I'm the last student in the computer course, but for a school... Uh, I I don't have much uh, problems. Just my problem is uh, not being able to manage a full-time job and just mm-hmm. to uh, cover my life expenses. Well, well I, yeah, I understand the financial pressure you mentioned. That that seems like it's going to be a big um, challenge for you. It's not going to make things things easy. But I'm really concerned, as I was saying before, about your mental mental health and how you're doing um when i say that do you feel what i'm saying are you concerned about your mental health and how you're feeling day to day your behaviors anything you know does that make sense to you when i say that yeah yeah my my, you mean uh i mean um the uh life is so overwhelming for me Mm. that i i would rather just rest in peace and okay when you say i can't handle everything yeah uh you know i'm well when you say it that uh, way it does concern me some more when you say rest in peace because i'm i'm in a situation that uh i have to work and go to school and i have i have barely have money 
to buy food. Not, yeah. not that extreme, but okay. I mean, well, good. I'm glad it's not that extreme. But let me again. Uh, sorry, I'm stopping you. But when you say rest in peace, that gives me concern that you're thinking of hurting yourself. No. Okay. Okay. Good. Because you know, rest in peace. That's something we say to someone in the United States when, when they've passed away. They say, "May they rest in peace." I mean, so I thought that's yeah, what you I know. meant. I mean, okay. Good. Um, I mean. Uh, I, I understand. Not, well, you're I under a lot of you're life. you're under a lot of stress and constant pressure, and you just want to be able to. Uh, just have some relief and be able to relax or not always be under stress. And I can understand that. That seems very difficult. Moving here, um, as you said, involuntarily, under a lot of pressure, and then coming here trying to make your life work is not easy at all. And that's why I'm, I'm suggesting that you should get help to help you in that process because it's not going to be easy to do it on your own. And again, yeah, I should mention. Uh, yes, go ahead. I'm. I. I I'm. On, I'm on citalopram. Okay. Uh, but well, it doesn't make any change. Sometimes, for three, three successive days, I don't feel hungry at all. I don't enjoy anything. The the level of anxiety is just killing me. You said citalopram. Yes. Okay, so Celexa. Uh, I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's. Yeah. But so how long have you been, um, that's the brand name is Alexa. how long have you been taking that? For uh, like three months. Okay. Now antidepressants do take sometimes up to two months to start working. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Also, I mean, I'm glad you're taking the antidepressant, but you know, clearly you're, you're aware that you have an issue that needs help. You need to go to therapy. And also with the medication, um, my guess is since you didn't mention a psychiatrist, are you getting that from your primary care doctor? Yes. Okay. So I would also recommend seeing a psychiatrist because, um, you know, that's the person who's supposed to prescribe you psychiatric medications. So in a way, it's like you're uh, agreeing or, you know, accepting that you have depression to some degree, but you're of not course. willing to, but you're not willing to face it and, and treat it. Therapy is going to be what you need to do along with the medication to help you. And um, I can assure you there are therapists there that can help you. Uh, it's going to look different than what you're doing with me now or what you hear with my father or my show in general, but doesn't mean it's not helpful. It's a different process. And you have to be ready that it's going to take some time. If you just go one time, two times, that's not um, what therapy is or how therapy works. It takes, we're talking about months and years. And especially, I remember you had been through a lot of trauma in your life. Yes. So trauma takes time. And actually, even the book I was talking about today, Mindsight, he talks a bit about trauma in there, but there's other books on that too. I don't want you to think, though, by just reading a book, that's going to be enough. I hope you do read this book and others, and it can help you. But to really help you through the trauma you've been through, you're going to need therapy. And it's not something, no one can do it by themselves. Um, do you know, uh, do you know anyone that you approve that you can have over the phone therapy? I, I know one therapist over the phone, which I can give you um, his name if you'd like. I personally think, especially for what you've been through, you, you want to do it in person. And I don't want you to think because I approve or I don't approve of someone or I know them or don't know them, that necessarily means they're the ones that can help you or they're the only ones that can help you just because I know them. I know lots of good therapists in this area, 
But I also know there's lots of good therapists I don't know. So if someone says they went to a therapist and I don't know them, my assumption is that they do good work. I don't have any you know, thing to assume that they're not good. And the same, especially in your area. I don't know anyone in the New York area, but it doesn't mean I, I'm assured that there's hundreds of very good therapists near where you live. And it's going to be up to you to find them. And it's not an easy process. And hopefully you can find one that you match with because that's the most important thing is feeling comfortable uh, with your therapist, feeling like it's a good match. But you really have to put that effort into taking care of yourself because you deserve it. And I would honestly say that without going to therapy based on everything you've gone through and the depression you're feeling, you're, you're not going to get better. It's very unlikely. And to wait till maybe you see you can come here or, you know, you find that perfect therapist or everything works the way you want it to, you're more than likely just going to be waiting and waiting for some day that doesn't come and keep suffering without getting help. So I would take that very seriously, that if, if you don't go to therapy, assume that you're not going to get better. And therapy is going to be a process. If you go once, don't expect to feel better after the first time. If anything, and I tell this to a lot of clients when they come in, you might feel worse um, after the first few times because you start talking about things and bringing up past issues and it can be very painful and uncomfortable. So first session is not supposed to heal you. It takes months and months and months to really start seeing the progress, but it can be very meaningful once you do that. sure and for uh for my school mm -hmm. what should i do i mean for for school I, I would definitely not recommend stopping um i would recommend meeting with counselors at your school and really trying to figure out what you want to do because if you don't have a strong passion for where you're going especially with all the pressure you're under it's not going to you're not going to be able to sustain yourself to stay motivated to overcome everything you're going to face. So if you just kind of like something or you think, oh, it might be easy to find a job, when you start facing the pressure and the struggle, you're not going to care that much to keep going. And at the same time, I say that I recognize that your depression is going to make everything harder to do. Your motivation yeah. is less, your energy is less, your concentration is going to be worse, your focus is worse, all these types of things. And even... Your um, worries are going to seem bigger. Your lens that you're seeing everything is more negative. You're more stressed. Can I make it? Will I be able to make this money back? Is it worth it? Am I worth it? All these negative yeah. thoughts and feelings yeah, are going to keep affecting time, you. I'm, all the time, I'm asking this question. That yeah. Is I, it really worth How how should How should I manage my student loan if I couldn't finish it even if I left one course I wouldn't get graduated and I have to pay back all loans yeah that's so the worst case scenario that you're thinking of also you know you said is it worth it and also when I was hearing you say that I heard you saying am I worth it which you are but I think I can feel from you and I remember when we talked last time there are these doubts about your self-worth and how much you deserve good things and to be happy and to feel good and there's something maybe about you that feels that you're supposed to feel bad or be in this place but i really want you to know that's not true you, you deserve to be happy and successful and all those all the good things that there are in this world but because of what you went through i think there's part of you that's not sure and doesn't fully believe that and that's why i'm telling you the therapy that you would need to go through would be a long time it would take a long time it's not going to be something where 
a few sessions is going to change everything because you were hurt in very deep ways that was based on relationships. And until you have a healthy relationship with someone in that emotional context, you're very likely not going to heal those pains and those wounds from the past. So I won't, I'm, I'm stressing it because I think it's so important and almost the only way for you to get to where you need to get to is to go to therapy to work on what you have been through because I, I remember what it was and I, I because you didn't want to get to it we won't open it up but it was very traumatic and painful and that's not something that's just going to disappear we can't avoid it it's like you're trying to outrun this storm that's behind you you're never going to outrun it you're just going to be running your whole life you have to turn around and face it and see that it's going to be painful but you can overcome it okay so I definitely t take it seriously. Please do. Good. Um, I have one. I have uh, one more question. Okay, we have about, about two minutes. Just jerk, go ahead. We have about two minutes. Just wanted to let you know. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, I I I work. Uh, I'm an office assistant, data mm -hmm. uh, data in, interior clerk in a in a uh, fashion company. Every time my boss talks in a sarcastic way and put me down and degrade behave in a degrading way and all the time I'm suffering at my work. My work and workplace is it's not a difficult, it's easy job but it's pain in the neck to tolerate uh, this uh, toxic atmosphere mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if if I can do anything about it. Well, I mean that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to laugh at the question. It's actually a very serious one. It's just that I look up and I see I have a minute. Um, that's what I'm laughing at because there's so much in that. And I wish we could talk more about that because there's lots of things. At one level, there might be only so much you can do about it, which means either you have to learn to, when we can't change, as Viktor Frankl says, when you, you know, you can't change something, then we learn that we can change our attitude towards that thing. But also there's something about, um, assertive communication that I would want to talk about again I won't have time to get into that that maybe you can express to your boss how you're feeling about his behavior and and how it's affecting you and how you feel at the workplace like you said the work is not hard but the workplace is not an easy place to be at or it's a painful place and that's not going to help you and especially one with what you went through with your trauma um, anything from an authority figure you're likely going to be even more sensitive to it um, and two, just being depressed itself is going to be harder to take what you're you're going through. So there's a lot to what you're talking about. And like I said, there's not going to be time because I have to, to let you go and end the show. Uh, maybe you can call back and we can talk about it some more. But like I said, if I could just put it in two sentences, I would say don't quit school and start therapy immediately. And hopefully we can talk some more about these other things. But just remember you're worth it and you deserve to take better care of yourself and to start healing those pains from the past. It won't be easy, but you can do it. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you much so for calling, much. and hopefully we'll You're talk again on, soon. You have uh, next week, all Mondays? You yes. Have, uh, Monday at 8 p.m. Okay. I'll be on again. Thank you. Thank okay. You so have a good night. For, Thanks uh, for calling. Have a good night. You Thank too. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you to our caller. Thank you to the listeners. And I'm here, here in the studio. Again, a reminder, April 23rd, 3 to 6 p.m. Hope to see you at the Olympic Collection for my next seminar titled Emotional Intelligence. Tickets are $40 at the door. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delakwi. Have a wonderful night.